We're looking at Psalm 82 this morning. Uh, This is the second in this new series, which um, calling Psalms for Days of Trouble. That'll help us to process a lot of these things that we're facing uh, together through the Psalms um, and with with our God. And this is going to bring up this reality of poverty and weakness um, that. The vulnerability that comes from imbalance of power and resources and and those kinds of things. So let's go straight to the psalm and uh, let's read it. I'll read it. Um, You're welcome to follow along uh, before I say anything else. Uh, This is God's word. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth. For you shall inherit all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think this subject is is relevant to us, especially right now, for several reasons. Uh, One is because issues of poverty and weakness exist all around us all the time, and they're very complicated, and they're always relevant to some degree. Uh, But we also, we've had several big things to process as a society uh, over these last few months. Um, the care for the elderly. How are we going to protect the elderly in particular um, during uh, the pandemic? Um, you know, small businesses. How are you going to? How are we going to take care of um, the economic needs of our people? Uh, we've had issues of race. How are we going to enter into uh, the injustices that happen along racial lines? All these kinds of things. And so there are lots of reasons why talking about this is very relevant. And if you look at you know, you go online for more than two seconds, then you also pick up on no matter where uh, we fall on any sides of any political spectrum, there's this pervasive sense that the powers that be have a lot of power and that our own desires, you know, our own uh, concerns are, uh, we can feel very weak in the face of watching everything, everything unfold on TV. So this is, I think, this is a pertinent thing for us to talk about. And I'm going to talk about this through uh, this principle. And that is when God's power is invisible, the needs of the weak tend to become un- invisible as well. Uh, when God's power is invisible, then the needs of the weak uh, very quickly become invisible. I'll start off with an illustration. I've talked to some of you about this, especially as you have kids that are getting older, that there's a point when you have to make the decision when your kids are old enough that you can leave them home alone uh, without uh, and to go out as parents. And even if you don't have kids, uh, you were a kid at one point, and I'm, I'm mostly coming at this through the vantage point of being a kid and what that is like. Because here's what happens. Whenever this, it is not, you can't make the decision whenever you decide that your, old, that your oldest kid in particular is able to care for themselves. So you have, to, you have to make that decision when they are capable to suppress a coup from the younger children. Like that's the line when you know that, that you can, you can, you're safe to go and leave them at home. Because you know that when parents leave, they still have an authority over the place. All the rules still exist. 
But things tend to fall apart in, in several different ways. When the, the, the power, those that have true power, uh, their power is invisible in that time. There are some kids that use it to do whatever they want to do. Uh, they use it to um, pick arguments with their siblings without consequences, to flex their muscles and get their way for a short time. Um, some kids respond by they know that they're going to be on the opposite end of that situation uh, when the parents aren't there, that you know, they, they maybe are smaller and they're not going to get their way uh, the way they do with, with the kids. And there are always those that have to that have more of the mediating personality, like how are you going to be in this situation knowing that mom and dad aren't here um, and knowing what's going on and wanting to have a positive influence here and yet not the full authority to do so. So it, things get weird really quick uh, whenever uh, mom and dad are not home. And this is just, this is an illustrate, this illustrates this point is that whenever, whenever the true power becomes invisible, then the, the things that, that come out and that are the most visible are these, um, these, this getting what I want, being able to do what I want to do. And the force that's there to protect particularly the weak and to maintain order in a way that's fair for everybody, um, that, that becomes a much lesser uh, priority uh, in that situation. And then we have to figure out you know, how, to, how, to be, how to have a positive influence uh, there as well. And this is the case, um, it is in life. And that we have to recommend is that we look around, that we, especially if you watch the news, that we don't see God's power active all the time. And yet we're promised that it's there. That's one of, this, this one of the things that this psalm reinforces for us um, and is helping to orient us, um, particularly as his people, and how to lean into these realities of imbalance of power, of poverty and weakness. And so what we're going to see here is the main point is that because all of our power that we have, no matter who we are, is given by God, uh, that we have a particular calling on us to use it in a way that God would use it if it was him and him doing it, to model ourselves how we lead uh, in any way after him. And we're just going to look at those two things on the two sides. One, what is God's power? And then what is the Christian's power uh, that he has given us? So first place, if you look at verse 1, this, the first thing to see here, God says that he has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment. These gods here, just as a word of explanation, uh, they could be divine powers. I think they're more likely human. Um, that This is a common way of describing you know, powerful human powers, especially at this time. And the fact that uh, they can die here uh, at the end, I think, lends a lot to that. I don't think it matters a lot uh, which one you take. All the principles are true, nonetheless, but that's the, that's the vantage point that I'm coming from, that these gods are, are powerful people in positions of power. But they don't exist just them. They don't exist on their own. There's another power. It's saying that God actually sits in divine counsel amongst all of these power, and, it's, and he holds his one seat. He holds his own seat. And that's just to say that despite what is visible and invisible, that God's power is real. That it is a real thing, whether it's seen or whether it's not. And you might think, thank you very much, Mr. Seminarian. You've told us that God is real, and that is, um, this is not why you paid all that money uh, to be able to make that basic point. But yet, it is the most basic and it is the most fundamental thing at the same time. 
And these things are given, especially in the Psalms, for God's people to say over and over and over and over again. Not as a way of giving new information that we might not have known before, but just in this reality of what seems the most visible is that we don't always see um, God's power. And that this is a liturgical kind of information that God's people has to rehearse over and over and over again to remind us and to reinforce what is true, uh, whether we see it or whether we don't. And God's power here is, first in the first place, it is a real thing. Um, that he is in the midst of all the other powers uh, that we see doing his work. But on the other hand, we also see this point that every other power um, is that they don't have power on their own, or we don't have them on our own, but that every power that any human being has is actually derived from God. It's given by him as a gift. Um, It is God is the highest power, and he grants power to his people. And how do we see this? Um, We see here, I mean, the first place, the whole theme of this is God sitting in the middle and actually being the judge of all other powers, Um, that he is the one who holds uh, all of them in judgment. He has authority over them. Uh, He is the one who uh, his power extends even beyond death like no one else. But look here in verse 8, in this cry to arise, O God, and judge the earth, that you shall inherit all of the nations. It's like there is a sense in which already... God already owns every power, every place, everything. It belongs to him. But he is the great judge. He is the steward over these things. And so any power that anyone else can have is just borrowed from him. It's actually owned by God and it is not owned by us. And there's this promise here that because of this, that he will come and he will have his way in the end. And he will inherit uh, all of the earth. So that's the first place. We have this kind of liturgical reinforcement of God's power, its reality, um, and also the nature of it that our power is borrowed from him. But we're led to uh, this question of, uh, so what does a Christian response to this look like? If that is true, then what does that mean for us? How do we respond to it and how do we uh, live underneath that reality? And so if we get there by asking in the first place, what is God's power like Um, how does he exercise his power, then we see several things here. We continue to read, uh, and he says, How long will you judge unjustly and showing partiality to the wicked, but give justice to the weak and the fatherless? Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. These are all descriptions of God's character. And in these commands that we are given, um, we are given them because this is what God is like and this is what God wants. Not for powers to exercise power for their own right, but actually to use it for the sake of the most needy, of the most invisible, of the most uh, who don't have the same voice, uh, same power um, to, to stand up for themselves in their own way. And that this is an essential part of what God is like, so that's also an essential part of what his people are like as well. That our use of power is to imitate his. It's not to use it how we want, but it is actually to look to him and what he is like and to model ourselves after him. But what kind of power is this? So this has all been kind of vague uh, to this point in principles. But you know, we have to think that a lot of us don't feel powerful, and so we have this question, is what does, what does this, act, this look like in our lives? Uh, I mean, several of us 
there's a kind of power that comes from position. Um, this could be from a boss. This could be a parent, um, a church officer, uh, any kind of leadership position. That there is just this kind of power that comes with it, where you get to make decisions on behalf of other people. Um, that there is a lot of potential uh, to use our influence, um, and the way that we use our influence has a great effect on those under us. And so there's always an option here. Is how are we going to use that? Are we going to use that for the sake of ourselves and what would make us the most comfortable? Or are we going to eagerly pay attention to the consequences for other people? I'll never forget one time um, a guy, he was a, a small business manager, probably mid-sized business manager, and he had worked on this project for a while, and uh, he was really, really excited that he had found a way to do everything that they had done much more efficiently um, than they had done before and shave several hours off. And he was excited about this because he was saying that because we did this, all of our people get to go home at 5 o'clock and they don't have to stay anymore and they get to be with their families. And it struck me, you know, not that that has to happen in every, every situation, but what you see is somebody who is using the influence they have to think about uh, who is invisible here. Who is one of the maybe one of the casualties of the way we do our business that we might think about? Sometimes it's the families. And so there are lots of potential in just these in our roles um, to pay attention and to work on behalf of others instead of ourselves. Physical power um, is a big one, just the way we look. Um, If we're larger than somebody else, then we have a command. And that gives a, a sense of sway with other people that we can use for good or we can use um, uh, for evil. Verbal power. Some of us are very articulate people. Uh, some of us are very intelligent and not so articulate. Some are very good at arguing. And what we find when we are very good at arguing, that we are able to have our way with other people who are not. And it is much easier to get our own way. But there's a kind of power that comes in our ability just to use words. We could use them to to defend ourselves, to make sure we're not wrong. We're not the one in the wrong, but somebody else is. Or we could use them to build somebody else up. Uh, Just a couple more. There's a relational power. People we know, people that we know love us, that we have a lot of sway over. Um, Here's something about about me. Um, There's an emotional power um, that we can use, and we can use it in different ways. One, we can use it by expressing clearly, by being angry, uh, by being very out there, um, which can be frightening, and we can get our way with people. There's also, the opposite is true as well. Like, I mean, that you can be very sullen, and you can, we can withdraw, and we can become moody, and we can separate from other people. And that is what can be a way, a tool that we can use uh, to get what we want. And it was, it was much more later in life that I was even aware um, that that's the thing. That even the withdrawing and even the being moody when I'm not happy has a tremendous impact on the whole household, on my wife, on my kids, those kinds of things. There are all kinds of powers that we can use to manipulate, uh, that we can use to get our way. And what this, is, what this is having us grapple with, both individually and as a people of God, is that these, these are gifts that God has given. It is not bad to have power. But one of the fundamental aspects of what it means to be a Christian is that we use this 
for the sake of the weak and the powerless and not just for ourselves. Everything in us wants to use our power to make our way in life, to feel comfortable and to feel safe. And this psalm is leading us to examine and to challenge that idea, to ask ourselves, how do we use our own power and who is it uh, that needs um, protection and care uh, that is not getting us now, getting it now? So that's in the first place. We have this, we've seen the reality of, God, of God's power. Uh, we've seen uh, this, that this is the Christian role, that the every man for themselves attitude is not what it means to be a part of the people of God. And yet, if we sit there, and let's say we catch that vision. Let's say we, that sounds good and that sounds appealing, uh, that we, we understand that this is what God is calling us of asking of us in several ways, what happens if we actually start to embrace that vision? Oftentimes, the things that become much more clear even than before is discouragement, both when we look out at the world around us um, and we start to see how things are not the way uh, they're supposed to be and they don't seem to be changing anytime soon. If anything, everything seems to get worse. And so we have this vision And yet when we buy into it, then we also have discouragement that comes in the same place. And if we think about it individually, if we're really taking this seriously and if we're really examining ourselves and how we use these things, um, then that creates a crisis too. Because we both are discouraged what's going on around us, and yet we look inside and see that there are ways that we participate in the very same time. And we might in some ways do things really, really well, but in other ways, we have these habits, these, these ways that we just hold on and maintain life that, when, that come out when we get nervous, and we don't seem to be able to change it. What do we do then at this point? And this leads us to this last use of power that God has given us in this, la- this little verse. Where in verse 8, he says, it says, invites us to say, Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. The power that we have been given as the people of God is the power to cry out to our Father, the one who truly holds all of, all of the power, the one who truly can make everything right instead of us. There is an admission here that no matter what kind of power we have, it is not good enough and it will not fix what only He can fix, that He is the final one who has to come, who has to arise who has to judge the earth and who has to bring righteousness um, and goodness in his own way. But how did he do this? So we're looking at this in the big picture of what he has done with his people. And that instead we might hope and often do that he will just rise up and make everything right, that we won't see these problems anymore, that everything will just be fine. But what did he do at the right time? He sent his own son rather than to exert his authority that he was owed that he could do by every right he could, but he sent his own son in order to make his authority invisible, to take up the posture of those weak, to actually absorb the powerlessness um, of people at large and his own people and ourselves in general. He gave up his power for the sake of us, making himself weak. 
And so where do we stand in the middle of this? As we, we are standing here, we see what Christ has done. We both have the call. We have this new pattern of how he exercised his authority, laying down his life on behalf of the weak. But what else do we have? We have grace. We look at our Savior as we look at these things and see the in-between as things are worse um, than we would ever hope and as we long for the future when things always will be made right, that we have been drawn to our Father and we have been given this gift to call out to Him. Not because of us, but because we have done. And so we are invited into this journey into this calling of, of, in all of our create, creativity and efforts to love those around us, to defend the weak. But not because we are right, but because we are weak. And we have been given a gift by our Father of inclusion in His plan, what He is going to do. This is the power that we have, and this is the primary power that we have to offer those around us. The true solution to the problems that we see is the grace that has been poured out from our Father to us. And so the question, we end with this, the question becomes, is will we join with the people of God in this cry of desperation to our Father? Can we give it up on ourselves? And can we look to Him and throw ourselves in His hands and His mercy in desperation for what only He can give? And He will do that. Because he has not held anything from us. He has given us his own son. Let's pray together that the Spirit would help us to do this. Father, have mercy on us where we are weak. In our suffering, have mercy on us in our power. As we use that even in ways that are harmful to those around us. Thank you for your grace and your Spirit to call us back to yourself that our lives would be defined by this cry out to you uh, as our only hope and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.